Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I Um, welcome back. Today, I'm here with a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Dana from the Pleasure Helmet podcast. Uh, I'm an artist, writer. Um, yeah, I just do stuff. <laughs> I'm very happy to be with Yana today. Me too. I'm very excited for this episode. This is actually a very special episode that we're trying to pull off here. Um, I hope it works. Um, call you uh, Yana or Jana? It's Jana. Yeah, it's the like um, Slavic, I guess, pronunciation because I'm Estonian, Yana. and the J is uh, yeah, it's the same as like a Y in English. Yeah. It's a funny story actually because um, my parents wanted me and my sister to have really international sounding names so we wouldn't stand out anywhere we went like people wouldn't have trouble pronouncing our names so that's why they called me on and not thinking of the j part at all and my sister inga and obviously no one can pronounce those ever especially when it comes to like americans so it's like always this big deal where everyone's like oh how do you how do you say that <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah um well i brought you on here today to talk about um self-harm on the internet <laughs> oh god um yeah i well actually i've been wanting to talk about self-harm for a while on this podcast but obviously like mm. not everyone wants to talk about it so when you said yes i was really excited um oh. what, why why do you think that people don't want to talk about it well i think i think people think it's a controversial topic to discuss yes. right and also I think people because either people don't know much about it so they don't feel confident enough to speak about it or people have experience with it and then they don't feel comfortable discussing their experiences but I, I mean I get it but um so <laughs> maybe that's a bit of an odd question but uh what's your experience with it if you have any or just an understanding yeah. of it? Um, my experience with self-harm was not like uh personal directly to like myself like i didn't do i mean it's really it's really interesting to think what what we what can you consider as self harm like is it the typical image of like body mutilation um or it could be anything else you know like self harm it could be like putting ourselves in sort of situations that would hurt us but we do yeah. it intentionally because we enjoy uh like it gives us something i knew people who actually like did cut themselves or uh did self-harm like close people to me friends siblings um so if we are going to uh talk about it in a personal way of course it would be like very heavy and yeah remind me of a lot of episodes i had with very close people to me um, but it's interesting to see what people who go through, who go through these things, uh, how do they express these things aesthetically on the internet? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's why. 
yeah, I find it very lame when I watch, uh, and I understand their point of view. I watch a lot. Of, I watched a lot of videos where people are just criticizing this and say, saying like it's just glamorizing, romanticizing, aestheticizing self harm. While uh, like I think this just uh, doesn't look into the act, like the actual thing as something interesting and transgressive. To be honest, no, definitely. maybe it's controversial to say that, but I but I see it that way. No, I 100% agree with you. And I do agree with your point that self-harm is not necessarily just like, you know, mutilating yourself with a knife or whatever. Like it, it can be, I think it comes into play in a lot of different ways. And I think, I think if, if you know, if you consider like drinking a little too much on a lot of occasions or like doing drugs and stuff, knowingly that it's going to have adverse effects and or whatever. Because I mean, everyone, you know, indulges a little in, in drinking and I don't know, smoking weed and so on but i think if you do it knowing that it's going to harm you knowing that it's going to be hard for you to stop that's definitely a form of self-harm and i think um also specifically drugs um and alcohol people get attached to doing them because of the aesthetic framework that they provide yeah and yeah. i think yeah and the same thing can be said about like cutting yourself because there is a certain aesthetic of that, especially on the internet, especially among young people that it provides a certain like way that you can then see the world through. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I had a friend who used to show me her scars, talk about like talk about how she like used to do it. And it it, it gave her something, I don't know, some kind of satisfaction yeah. Um, but uh, today I I went on Tumblr <laughs> to remember the stuff on Tumblr because yeah, like uh, when I used to be on Tumblr, I was like twenty two. Yeah. Uh, my my Tumblr consisted of me posting my art and my writing, which is gay, but <laughs> with, uh, intended for that original. <laughs> yeah, I used it as a blog, but the images now like are really interesting the people like the way they're expressing these things mostly uh, they're using effie from skins yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and and then um the way they talk about it like i want to see the crimson red uh, pour down my skin and uh, you 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 find thousands of reposts it's really interesting to think like there's an entire audience for this stuff and why, why they do it. Why do you think they do it? Um, well, I think it's the same thing as like, I think a lot of people get into self, like self sabotaging behaviors because it gives them a way out of the sort of the ordinariness and mundanity of their everyday, of their everyday life. It like provides a new framework through which they can express their emotions and I think a lot of it has to do with like an innate desire for people to stand out. I think that's why people who do indulge in like self-mutilation, like cutting and stuff, it's why they're always mm. so um, almost excited to like showcase that in a very public way or like in a private way. Because um, I also, I've known people who were really into cutting and the big thing for a lot of those people is always to like, um, wear long sleeves so no one like on the street can see it publicly but then whenever the opportunity to like show it to someone in private would present itself they'd like 
openly show it to everyone basically at like parties and like social events and stuff. And I always thought that it was like a way for people to distinguish themselves. I don't mean this in like a judgmental way, obviously. I just think that it's, yeah, it's like a way for people to um, sort of change the the change, change the course of their life in this like very um, harmful, I guess, way. Yeah, it could be seen as even, okay, this would sound weird, but like uh, they're taking some kind of agency on on their bodies. Like I will hurt myself. The world doesn't, can't hurt me because I hurt myself the most. Just some stuff they would write on Tumblr as well. Yeah, Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think Tumblr is especially interesting because as you said, like I've talked about this before, but Tumblr is basically the way that, Tumblr's social media platform functioned, but was that it was all based around the idea of like reblogging and reposting stuff. So very yeah. rarely would any like original concept come in. And I mean, that's still the case like with the blog that you sent me a link to. Like it was mostly people just sort of relating to other people through like the constant reposting and like re. Um, that's, yeah, that's actually, I did, I, I did this blog today. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I went, I went on Tumblr and I just uh, reposted a bunch of images and uh, quote, quotes. There's a very classic picture of a guy like showing the place where he cuts himself, jerks off, smokes marijuana, and records stuff. Like I remember this. I saw this like the years ago, maybe ten years ago, and it's still like there. And uh, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, Tumblr basically functions like a black hole where it's like there's so little like yeah like original and new content that everything just keeps on like it's like a spiral you know like stuff just keeps on like being reposted and like reviewed and re-edited but it's basically the same core idea like as you said like Effie from Skins always comes in and like there's also like a very particular type of way that those images are um how it's presented like it's always the same aesthetic you know you know what I mean yeah um and yeah, and I think the language that people use around self-harm and Tumblr is especially interesting because I think that's what I mean when I say I think it's a way for people to distinguish themselves because the language they use is so deliberately like poetic yeah. <laughs> and literary that it's just it's like a way for people to um yeah, like create more um drama in their life. That, that's yeah, like you're worded, but yeah. Yeah, there's this image of a person, like it's a drawing, illustration of a person standing on a a scale weighing themselves and you can see on their legs there are scars and it says, I won't stop until I'm nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember that particular phrase. It was like using a number of images like from when I was on Tumblr very actively in like the 2010s and like that particular wording was like everywhere it was like this idea of like annihilating yourself through self-harm that was like really um it's like idolized by people yeah and i actually found memes and i found that interesting (laughs) really like yeah like there's a meme of trump and uh like the the quote says so i stopped starving myself but i'm cutting again and then there's an image of trump saying this has been the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals maybe ever oh my god <laughs> like trading oh. trading starving yourself or cutting yourself <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot of stuff about eating disorders as well as a form of self-harm 
yeah, no, I think, I think the two and two actually go hand in hand. Like they always go together because I think both of them and they go, the, again, going back to like the wording that's used around that stuff, the two of them are basically centered around the idea of like making yourself smaller and changing your appearance mm-hmm. in the most drastic ways possible. And I think it's also interesting that, um, I mean, obviously men and boys self-harm as well, but I think mm-hmm. people that are most vocal about it are women and girls. And I think if you look at the statistics as well, it's mostly women and girls. And of course, that's the case with eating disorders as well. Why, why do you think that's the case? <laughs> yeah, I think it's because um, men are not as tied to their image and self-image as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, like we care more about and we hear a lot of comments about how we look like since we are really young like I remember when I was young I struggled a lot with being called skinny even though it's something that people want to be skinny like everyone wants yeah. to be skinny but when I was in, in, in my entire school years from grade one until uh, I graduated uh, I was always called skin too skinny and People would ask me to gain weight and uh, tell me I'm a skeleton and all of these things, all of these oh, things. Oh. And, uh, or or people would, like guys would tell me, okay, like you are pretty, but if you dressed in a different way, you'd look better. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, like when you are becoming anorexic or um, like you're controlling the way you eat or the way you uh treat your body it it, it it gives you a form of agency no definitely in it it is it is all about control basically because yeah. both um it's interesting though because obviously like eating disorders and anorexia specifically are all about like restricting yourself well it's cutting is kind of the opposite of that right because it's like this like primal carnal desire for violence manifested against oneself so mm. in a way like it's the opposite of control because also like people who do self-harm actively always talk about how like they lack any control when it comes to that. It's like every extreme emotion they experience leads them to um, cut and harm themselves basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it is tied to, of course, the, the obvious, which is mental health. <laughs> yeah. But I think actually um, I've been thinking about this for a while, but I think cutting also has some something to do with like the practice of bloodletting. Um, mm. Because I think, I mean, in an obvious way, it's like all about, you know, like exercising stuff out of your body, like getting rid of like the, 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 the bad blood in your body. But I think it's also like in a way the, um, but bloodletting is obviously like a practice or it used to be a practice performed by doctors for like of course uh, diseases. But like with, Cutting is kind of like people can sense a sort of illness within themselves and try to exercise it out of themselves by cutting themselves. So That's an interesting take, to be honest. A lot of a lot of people would uh, practice certain ways of getting yeah the bad blood using um, they use glasses they use weird stuff technologies to get out to get this blood out, but yeah. uh, the act of cutting is seen as this dirty stigmatized. Uh, I'm not saying that I am pro cutting, but I'm just saying that it's a way of doing that. I like yeah. I like what you. It's interesting. 
I think also, and I think it's also like, I mean, bloodletting was used in like a variety of different contexts, but I think some of it was also religious, right? So I think in a way, cutting is also, it's like a very basic level of self-punishment because it's you harming your carnal body in order to um, punish yourself for a variety of different, you know, uh, I mean, you can say it like bad emotions or like sins in a way. So it's like you trying to get rid of that by doing it to yourself. So it's like self-punishment in like a religious way as well, I think. Yeah. And there's another like narrative from the people on Tumblr and elsewhere is that they don't feel anything, but this is their way of feeling something intensely or feeling alive by yeah. just seeing the blood come out. And the same, the same token, it could kill you. It could kill you. So they're just they feel they want to feel alive in the most extreme way possible by approaching death somehow. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it like makes you rediscover your body as well. Because I think yeah. when you're going through periods of very intense emotional pain, pain, it's like you feel separated from your body, right? Because you're because you can't contextualize emotional pain the same way that you can contextualize physical pain. Because there's no way to like treat it. You you can't treat it in the same way. I know a lot of people are always like, oh, you know, we treat a mental health issues the same way that we treat broken legs. Like no one would ever be depressed. But I don't think that's true. I mean, those are completely different things. And they can never be compared almost. Because one is, I mean, I think maybe it's a bit of a controversial take. But I think at the end of the day, emotional health is tied very intimately with um, like spirituality. and like just the human condition in general, the way that physical pain isn't. Mm. You think that emotional and mental health is tied to spirituality? I don't think they necessarily, it doesn't necessarily start with that, but I think it's tied with that. Is in like, you can work through a lot of emotional pain by working through your, um, <laughs> your spiritual issues, basically. But, mm. and vice versa so while it's with physical pain it's a lot hard like you can't you can't think your way out of you know a broken leg basically what i'm trying to say while it's with depression mm -hmm. sure i'm not saying the pain isn't real i think anyone who's mm -hmm. ever experienced any like mental health issues can definitely say that the pain is very real and mm -hmm. it's very intensely and sometimes worse than physical pain but like it's not mm -hmm. it's not the same because you can't you can't see it you can't visualize it yeah, you need to visualize it by self-harm. Yeah, 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 no, exactly. It's like, yeah, it's like a way to like make your pain seem visible, which I think is also often talked about on Tumblr as well, where people, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those posts, but you know, stuff like, um, I didn't, um, I didn't know how to make the pain stop. So I decided to like hurt myself to like at least yeah. experience it more intensely. So I think, a lot of that is like, yeah, this desire to like make the pain visible for the outside world. It's uh, it's interesting that it's uh, there's a whole aesthetic around it, and the, the fact that uh, it's not just um, romanticizing or, or glamorizing it. They're they're ex expressing something important. No, definitely. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think. I mean. There is this notion today where whenever something's talked about, people accuse the people talking about it of glamorizing it. 
or trying to yeah. or like yeah trying to glamorize it and make it seem yeah. like a viable option well as i think any form of human expression is just like in a way a cry for help right or like a cry for something and um actually like i don't know if you came across that when you were like going through tumblr and looking at that stuff but like you know when you search up self-harm on tumblr or like suicide or like any of those any of those things the first thing that comes up is like um this the suicide hotline like do you need any help oh like, yeah 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 it's getting up to me yeah i think i mean that wasn't that it didn't used to be the case obviously like 10 years yeah ago. this is yeah yeah it's relatively new it's like you know like a couple years ago they deleted like off the all the porn off tumblr and i think that's when the hotline thing started popping up as well um because obviously tumblr used to get into a lot of trouble with like um like yeah like glamorizing um suicide and stuff for teens so i think that's like their way of like trying to to deal with like the pr side of it but um i think it's i think it ruins the experience (laughs) (laughs) i mean suicide is the worst could be like the worst experiences for uh people who are suicidal and the families of those who are suicidal i mean i've been in situations where family members try to do it but when you read other when it's distant when it's on tumblr when um when you read the stories of people who did commit suicide there's always something aesthetic about it yeah no absolutely but i think that's true about anything gruesome in life really i think that when you're going through it it doesn't feel pretty i mean it never does but like Mm. i think when there's a certain distance between something horrible and violent and gruesome that happened to someone and you looking at it from like, you know, the other side of the world or whatever, looking at it objectively, you don't see all the bad parts because I think just because of the way that people tend to tell stories and visualize their experiences, a lot of the, a lot of the anesthetic stuff just gets left out for obvious reasons. So what you're left with is like a beautiful, sad image. and. Yeah. It's it's just the way, I think that's just the way people tend to uh, present their experiences, really. And I think there is a correlation between, you know, people who uh, feel things too intensely, like they have a high sensibility, who are artistic, and who are driven to do that, to just uh, self-harm or commit suicide. Like uh, I was watching yesterday, I went to the movie, to the, to the theater here, Art House Theater, and I watched a film by Jacques Rivet called um, Paris Belongs to Us. It's an amazing movie. It revolves around suicide and self-harm and cutting. Uh, like this film was made in the 60s. It was the debut film of Rivet. So like it begins with this, people go to a party and they find out that one of the artists committed suicide. And they start trying to find out why. And like he made a music tape before he died and it's lost and they're trying to find it. And the guy who's trying to find the tape would kill himself if he doesn't find the tape because he needs it to stage his play that is impossible to stage. And it's all this like, um, and and at some point, like he says, uh, I just keep cutting my wrists and at some point I will die. But for now I didn't. Uh, it seems like that it's part of his like aesthetic journey that he would eventually commit suicide or yeah it's it's really 
that's really interesting yeah to think to think about it in, in relation to tumblr or the internet aesthetics around these things I think it's interesting, like, I like how you say, um, how you said that it was like part of his aesthetic journey, because I think, yeah, a lot of, a lot of artists do end up like incorporating self-harm and suicide and like awful, you know, like drug addiction and stuff into their aesthetic journeys. I think it was a really big part of a lot of people's aesthetic practices, really, like the idea um, not only shape like not only making art but also shaping your life into art um i think it has something to do with the fact that um like misery is like a constant right and you can live in misery for a very long period of time and because you can live in it for a really long period of time you can mold it and you can shape it in any way you want it to well, this happiness is always so fleeting and unachievable and unreachable most of the time, but you can't do anything with it. Like you can't, no matter what you do, you can't really strive for happiness. Like it's not an achievable aim. True. It's not an achievable goal. Well, it's misery. Yeah, it's like you can do anything with it. And I think people who gravitate towards the arts and, you know, aesthetics and stuff, they tend to see misery and self-harm and all the things associated with it as like a way to uh, mold their life into what they want it to be because it's really the only way to do it because you can't do it for happiness yeah and um simon Weil was like uh one of the most interesting oh i uh, love her yeah philosophers and spiritual figures has always been like when when, she, when she's written about People would write about her anorexia. Uh, even uh, Chris Krauss, when he when she wrote about her, she she talked about her anorexia, and uh, like her her anorexia was not like she didn't frame it in a a mental health issue or a self harm way. It was more of a way to be empathetic with others. Like it started at a very early age, like when she was six, I think. She was she was hearing that people were were dying, uh, like soldiers were not like their food was rationed, so mm. she ration she 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 would ration ration her own food. She wouldn't like eat sugar or like in solidarity with others, and then she would like later in her life she would just like eat a grape or something and not eat anything else. That's when her when she went into Catholicism very deeply. Yeah, um, and. It's not to romanticize it, but it's part of her practice as well, like to control what she what she would eat. Yeah, no, I think the Chris Powell's, uh like her account of Simone Whale and her um, in Aliens and Anorexia. Was oh, really, I love that book. Me too. I, I think I actually uh, like it more than I love Doug. So like I don't know why. I just, yeah, yeah I, me too. It's very uh, special. Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's funny that like no one ever talks about that book because people tend to like um yeah. always people always talk about i love doug but yeah aliens and anorexia is often loved out but i think it's really interesting because you said that the way she talks about her in the book is very much as this like martyr like figure as in like yeah. not somebody who indulged in self-destructive practices for any aesthetic or like artistic reason but more so out of like, a humanitarian need to um yeah. to like empathize uh, like sympathize with other people and i think yeah she wanted to think about like what what does it mean to be hungry what does it mean for us to feel these needs 
And I think it's the same for people who self-harm. Like they think, okay, what is it like to feel my body this way? What, what does it mean for myself to hurt my body? I don't. I know that they don't think of this actively, but it could be like part of it. And I think it's reflected on Tumblr. Like you, it's. Uh, I think the 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 stuff on Tumblr is very important. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Well, I, I guess I'm just gonna confess right here that um I did used to self harm when I was younger. Oh. It's like in my early teens, and um a lot of it I think I was very much influenced by the stuff on Tumblr when it came to that. Oh that kind of would drove me to do it. Like, I don't, I'm not like, you know, it's not like, um, I don't say this in like a judgmental, all of us, that stuff should be on the internet, should never be on Tumblr. Oh no. But it was just like a difficult period in my life. And, um, I mean, I was really young. I was like 13. Um, and I like, I remember seeing that stuff on Tumblr for the first time. And I was like, Oh, like I had never, like it never occurred to me that that was something you could do. Um, Mm. But I remember thinking, oh, that's really interesting. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, that's really interesting. I wonder why people do it. And then like literally like a couple months later, I found myself doing it. So I was like, oh, I I get it now, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's like a way to like express your emotions in a very like um, really primal way. Like in a way it's like, you know, you're hurting and you can't really put it into words in a proper way. So the only way you can express it is through like literally putting it on your body. And I think for me as well, there was always this like little, it was like a game I would play with myself where I would like see for how long I could get away with like wearing long sleeves and not having anybody see it. But there was always like a thought in the back of my head where I was like, oh, what's going to happen if I get caught? You know, like what's going to happen if people are going to find out about it? And I had friends who used to do it as well. And um, we never talked about it. It was just like one of those, like, you know, unspoken things. But I, I remember like that you would go about these things in a very similar way. So it's like a pattern of behavior that I think all people who indulge in it tend to adopt, where it's like very secretive, but also exhibitionist at the same time. I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't mean this like in a self pity way. It's like, oh, no, no. Um, it's an experience you went through. Yeah, exactly. No, it's an experience. And I think, and it's going to sound like really horny, but like, obviously I'm really thankful for it because I think it affords you a lot of perspective and a lot of like, you know, just, yeah, you like see things in a clear way after, I think. But it is true with like all experiences of that sort where, you know, when you go through a really bad period, it's like life just feels a lot better afterwards because you've gone through something. Yeah. Wow. But um, you think, uh, like, how, like, I wonder how these things started. Was it with, like, how did this became a thing? Was it because people were doing it more often, and then it became relevant on the internet, or or the internet made made it more influential? I think it's it's related to emo culture as well, in a sense, of course. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I do think it was kind of like a. I mean, it's kind of a loop. Like, I, I don't think it really matters where it started. I think it was like two things at the same time. But I think actually yeah. self-harm and self-harm, like expression of self-harm on the internet especially, has something to do with like how um, separated everyone feels from their bodies now. Because yeah. it's an entity online, right? So you you don't, yeah, you might be posting, you know, pictures of your body and stuff, but you don't experience things mm. like 
carnal way anymore, the same people used to. So I think the fact that a lot of young people tend to gravitate towards it now is just the fact that it like grounds them in their bodies (laughs) the way nothing else. Yeah. And then they post about it on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because that's the only way they know how to like... Project, yeah, that it exists. They have to like project it on the internet. That's so interesting. That, Uh, I mean, everyone now is a complete exhibitionist in that way. Um, Where nothing exists if you don't post about it. So even like the most sort of, um, the most like private, most horrible things get put on the internet because you just have to talk about it because otherwise your pain is not real yeah yeah i like this uh like uh what you said if you don't post about it your pain is not real (laughs) yeah i mean it's true yeah you you have to post about it um but say what you have to cut to like express your pain it's like i think it's a i think those are two really those two are really interconnected how do you think that emo culture i mean i totally agree with you but i just want to know what your opinion on this how, how do you think emo culture contributed to it exactly um i think that the entire aesthetic was around like uh you see, you'd see razor blades you'd see uh like these the the way the pain is exp- like the way um feeling sad and feeling uh hopeless is somehow pushed for as an aesthetic like this is this is what you should be but but it fits with with being a teenager as well like you're angsty your pain feels like 100 like tenfolds like if someone broke up with you you'd just be like fucked i think right now like teens uh are less angsty and feel less maybe but maybe i'm just also i think they get desensitized easily because of how everything is too much right now. And there's more of a sense of apathy rather than like, I like emo because it's, it's, it's more about feeling too, too much, like feeling everything in a, in a very extreme way. And, um, yeah, definitely. I think it's really uh, interesting that like the emo resurgence or yes, the emo thing came right before the, right before social media blew up for the first time. I think it was like, I think it says something about what people were anticipating and feeling that it was like this last, you know, big explosion of emotions, like right before, as you said, like everyone became very apathetic and detached and like, yeah, the way people are now. Like right now it's the meme culture. It's not the express your feelings culture. And even if you want to express it, it has to be ironic and, like I found uh, on Tumblr now, you have trauma core, vent core. And it's, oh, oh, right. it's, it's trauma core is really weird and I like it. Like it's these well, actually, Im- images. It's like, it's mostly like images of, uh, I don't know, what looks like childhood bedrooms that are abandoned. And then they just overlay it with, with texts that are angsty. And... Uh, but I think you posted uh, one on that on the blog you sent me. Like yeah, the, yeah, it's I love it. It's, it <laughs> I love incredible. it too. It's yeah, it's very like it's a very powerful image. Not to use that word, yeah, like, like really stands out. And yeah, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
but as you said, yeah, it's like very ironic, like post ironic, like um, detached, yeah. kind of like apathetic, Zoomer thing. Well, it's yeah. like that. Um, but it's interesting because I think there's two ways that people talk about um, <laughs> mental health now. And one of them is like the post ironic, like Zoomer stuff where people like, um, I don't know if you've seen any of those images, but they've been like floating around Twitter um, recently, like those like, mm-hmm photos of celebrities like um lily rose depp and stuff and like the caption or the captions are always like have something to do with like eating disorders and like narcissism mm. and stuff like that like in this like very like um detached like red scare way <laughs> yeah and the other side of uh, side of that is like the very like you know the um the oversharing millennial stuff where you have like people like constantly talking about how they're miserable and depressed and how they yeah. like have to like skip days of work and stuff and like both of those are like awful and <laughs> do absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah like it's enough to see the stuff on the internet to to make sure that everyone is fucked up right now <laughs> yeah no, all generations. No, yeah, I mean, the internet is just, like, this big hole of nothingness that just swallows you whole. But, like, um, in, in a way, I guess I prefer, like, the, I mean, I'm a super, so it's logical. Yeah. I prefer the, like, ironic uh, meme trauma stuff than the millennial yeah. cringe oversharing, um, you know, yeah. uh, to talk about mental health kind of thing, which I just think is the worst thing to ever <laughs> really yeah trigger warning the most famous two words on the internet trigger warning trigger warning oh god yeah no like those like you know those like awful i mean everyone talks about how they're awful all the time but they really are just horrendous like yeah. um like blob like figure infographics where it's like how to know if your friend is anxious or depressed or how to talk to your bipolar friends like that kind of stuff oh. That is just like the only thing, like the only thing that is good about mental illness is like the aesthetic. And if you take that away, nothing to live for. And yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Point of like having all those issues, you can't even aestheticize it. And like, like all those like internet millennials just don't get it. You know, and and most of the posts on Tumblr are tagged BPD, like borderline <laughs> personality disorder. Uh, and that film, in that film, the guy is also very BPD. Like uh, the the first guy Juan dies because Terry, like a girl, leaves him, and the other guy is the same. Like he sends, he puts a paper under the girl he likes under her door, saying, "If you don't call me before midnight, I'm going to kill myself." Oh then, no. Yeah, and they don't have cell phones then it's the 60s <laughs> so she doesn't uh, call him and he does like kill himself oh but my yeah, god it's very it's very ppd like this film is very tumblr that's awful <laughs> i mean this the film sounds incredible i will definitely watch it but like the situation is awful but it's interesting what do you think do you think film? yeah i'll oh, go for it sorry <laughs> no 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 please um, go but- I was just going to ask you if you think, um, because BPD obviously became a really big thing when, like, the rest group also yeah. talking about it and everyone like, accuses them yeah. of BPD now. Um, 
what, why, why do you think that is? Do you actually think that everyone is? That's crazy. I, I was going to ask you the same question, by the way. <laughs> like, I wanted to ask you, like, is BPD real? So, do you think it's real? Oh, God. It's very, it's very interesting. C- can we say that everyone is like BPD and there's a spectrum? Uh, or, I mean, yeah. but no, I, I don't, I mean, it could be, it could be true. However, I really don't know why it's so pre- prevalent to talk about BPD like that. I do like, think. Why is, why, well, yeah. No, no, sorry, go for it. No, like, why are we one step away from killing ourselves or. <laughs> like everyone collectively, like a massive, like, Jones yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, it's interesting because the first uh, time I heard about BPD was from that um, movie Girl Interrupted with Angelina Jolie and uh, oh. um, Brittany Murphy and stuff. Uh, where And it's based on a novel called Girl Interrupted. I actually think it may be a memoir by this woman called Susanna Kaysen. And in it, the main character is BPD. Um and she, she's like a typical borderline personality person as in like, she's like a rich girl whose parents are like very emotionally uninvolved and she has a bunch mm-hmm. of affairs with older men and she cuts her hair and then she tries to kill herself and she ends up in a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole, the whole movie is basically just her like slowly realizing that she's not actually that weird and crazy as she thought she was. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's in a hospital with like, you know, like girls who were like molested by their fathers and stuff and like who have had like real issues happen to them or like um, the um, the other um, big or like main character in the film is the sociopath played by um, Angelina Jolie, who, uh, well, she's a sociopath, you know, so, like, she's really, like, out of it, and they, like, kind of, like, exaggerate a lot of those, like, qualities and stuff, and it, the whole film was basically, yeah, like, her slowly realizing that she's actually, like, a pretty normal person, and that was, like, my first encounter with it, and in 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 the movie, like, there's a lot of, like, dialogue that is basically all, like, um, I feel things so intensely, you know, like, I feel things more than anybody else feels them, and stuff, like, the typical <laughs> yeah. BPD stuff, and um that film was also like really big on tumblr (laughs) isn't like people were like reposting like graphics of it and stuff and it's interesting though because um like a lot of people found themselves relating to the main character i like remember being a thing like people talking about how like um they related to her feelings and you know maybe they were bpd as well so like i just remember mm-hmm. like the first wave of girls like questioning themselves and being like oh maybe you know maybe maybe i feel things so intensely not because i'm a teenager and i have hormones but maybe i feel things so intensely because i have a mental illness <laughs> you know? Yeah, PPD and stuff. And I just like, yeah, I remember that being a thing. And I mean, I remember like questioning myself too, being like, is there something like, am I ill? Like, is there something wrong with me? And like, because I think, uh, because I feel things so intensely, which is like, it's really funny that like BPD is like associated with things that with people feeling things intensely, because I think that's just the human condition for anyone who feels things. I agree. Um, I think it's you. I think it's used in a very, uh, uh, like, liberally, like, everyone uses it, but it shouldn't be. I I even thought that, 
I didn't think that I'm PPD, but because I feel things intensely, yeah. If I'm attached to something, yeah, it goes away. I feel intense emotions and I would cry, but I wouldn't kill, kill myself necessarily or want that. But I think we all have like pathologies and the way we think about life and death and everything is uh, is really changing in a rapid way and the way we like life is changing around us and we try to find a certain label that would work with that i think like that guy in the film he's, he didn't just kill himself because uh because of the girl but because his his theater career has failed he 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 can't see anything working with him like everyone left him there are no people to live for anymore so he did it or whatever yeah um so you can never really know why People do the things they do. No. Um, and, and BPD is such a, like a general label. It's very dangerous to use it like this. No, absolutely. I agree with you. And I think it's like the thing with like, yeah, like BPD and stuff is people, it's basically like pathologizing normal human emotion. Because I think yeah. now people have been kind of like, I don't know if they've been like signed up or they convinced themselves that like any intense emotion is not normal that like yeah. is supposed to exist as these like emotionless uh drones that go about life like working and making profit and stuff like that right i mean i don't want this like very really good typical like critique of capitalism or whatever but, like you know how yeah. the perception that people have of a healthy individual is basically an individual who doesn't who only exists for uh doing things that other people tell them to do so it's like this individual who doesn't have any never questions you know their education who just like finishes you know school with high marks goes on to college like does everything perfectly so and anything that in any way diverges from that any person or any individual can't cope with those pressures is then labeled mentally ill which is insane it's insane that we do that and i know it's a corny thing to say but it's truly like like dystopian that that's something we constantly discuss in that way yeah everyone's trying to um diagnose themselves with something uh, just because they, uh, you know, have normal emotions, normal reactions towards their conditions. No, definitely. And I think, maybe this is a controversial thing to say again, but I think even people who do end up committing suicide or people who contemplate suicide, I don't think they're necessarily mentally ill. I just think that some people just see it as like a logical path for them to take. And I'm not, you know what? I'm not even gonna like. It's an try. option. It's a, yeah, it's, it's an option, option. You know. Yeah. Thank you for saying yeah. it. It's totally an option. Is it the best option? I mean, I don't know. Like, what are your circumstances? You know, like it's just like the fact that we have even like these pathologists, the most I think normal human need to control their lives, and like I do think that suicide and like contemplating suicide is a form of control because that gives yeah. you an option out. It gives you a way out of this like you know, average day-to-day routine. And mm. you're not you're not mentally ill for thinking that it's a way. No. It's an option. Like I think about death all the time. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I feel okay, like I've done everything I want to do. What's the point? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I'm a social being, so I ha- I have people who rely on me, people who would feel sad. Maybe that's the only thing that keeps me going. Other than that, I want to taste that high death <laughs> on my way. 
<laughs> no, I, think, I really welcome it. I think that's a really good way to put it. That like I think a lot of people, I think honestly, the majority of people live for other people, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. I think it's okay to live for other people sometimes. Like you, just like life at the end of the day. Like yeah, unless like you find your own purpose. Again, it's a very cliche thing to say, but like if you feel that. Mm-hmm have no purpose or that you fulfilled your purpose then the only thing left for you to do is yeah live for other people but you are like a part of the system whether you want to be or not and other mm-hmm. people do rely on you and like but that's a whole other story it has nothing to do with what you feel or think or want yeah i know in some cases like uh, of course people are really they really can't control the the drive towards ending their lives they don't even think about the people they love or people who love them because the pain is too much. So yeah, there's no general rule, but uh, there's nothing bad about living for others as well. I think I think a good, like I think if we really work on how we perceive life, like if we become less individualistic, if we really want to give love and give art and give good things to others i think this would make us uh, enjoy the stupid ride of life more rather than end it (laughs) no as as cliche as cliche as that sounds you know no i think i think that's very true and i think that but i think also it's interesting how people always talk about you know like people on social media and stuff will bring up statistics like you know like that these many people kill themselves every day or like these many people, like these many, that this percentage of uh, men, you know, committing suicide and stuff, we should end it, you know, like normalize talking about mental health and stuff, but like talking doesn't do anything. It's in like, we can, you know, and that's the thing though. I think the more we talk about our pathologies, instead of talking about things that actually make life worth living, the more people are actually going to end up, you know, like, not necessarily killing themselves, but like um, cocooning themselves in their own misery because then, yeah, yeah. And I think that just this constant talking about stuff that doesn't actually, it doesn't actually do anything. And in a way, I do prefer the whole like, like Tumblr aestheticizing pain way of dealing with stuff because, you know, at least aesthetics and art give life purpose <laughs> and yeah. they give misery purpose as well. Because like, yeah. That person uh, thinks, uh, okay, I'm going to post, I'm going to edit another bad Photoshop picture and post it on Tumblr. This gives them purpose, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like, and I do think that a lot of people, obviously don't have any like, statistics, whatever to prove it. But just like judging by people I know, like myself and stuff, a lot of people who did go through like the whole like, you know, like Tumblr depressed teen stage, they did end up like growing up and appreciating art and beauty a lot more than people who didn't. Because I think this desire, this innate desire that a lot of people have to aestheticize their existence, um, it can, like when you're young, it manifests in like, yeah, like maybe a slightly, you know, better cringe ways of like posting effy gifs on Tumblr. But then, you grow up, you gain like a broader perspective on art and on beauty and you, you approach it in a different way. Yeah. That's why I said these people have like special sensibilities. 
And I think it's special. Like it's good. Yeah, definitely. Because I think you can't. Uh, yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I'm just saying we can't always stigmatize it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think if, if we have to like stigmatize anything in regards to mental health, it has to be like the. Agree. Like. Yeah. It has to be this, like destigmatizing staying at home when you feel depressed and not hanging out with your friends and family, you're like missing school and missing work and missing like your responsibilities. I don't, I think that should be stigmatized. I think that's really important. That's like, that's a hole you'll never get out of. Like once you allow yourself to live your life like that, once you allow yourself to like wallow in self-pity, that's, you never get out of there and people never get out of that because, you know, like, yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes you're going to want to like stay home and not do anything and whatever. Mm -hmm. Like you can't make that a normal occurrence in your life because Mm -hmm. then it just becomes a part of who you are and you don't want to be associated with that. Like, I don't think weakness in that way is beautiful and I don't think it should be normal. I agree. Shouldn't be normal because it's painful. Yeah. And that's also really ugly and awful way to live. Yeah, and they're making it. They're making us live it. <laughs> yeah, <Love dance. laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Oh my god, you're right. That's exactly what it is. This whole thing with uh, the way they're controlling our lives is pushing us into that form of living, not socializing, staying home, being afraid to touch your grandmother, blah blah blah. All of this shit. It's, it's horrible. Definitely. Yeah. You're so right. I didn't even think about it in that context, but it's totally that. It's like the, you know, I feel so bad because now a lot of people are going to end up working from home, right? Like a lot of people are going to go back to the office, but whatever. I mean, you can say that's good or bad and it doesn't really matter. It's just a fact. And like a lot of people are going to end up, you know, like working from home. A lot of kids are not going to school. That's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No. Oh God! They, they would not have a proper life, you know. It's it's so weird. That's awful. They'll be uh, yeah. They'll be like those uh, kids who are homeschooled <laughs> <laughs> by their parents and doctrined all the time instead of going outside in the world and being emo, <laughs> like a normal child. <laughs> like a normal child, you have to be emo. Like you have to listen to My Chemical Romance at, at some stage. <laughs> We no. should bring that back. I live really close to a park and um yeah. sometimes I go for walks and stuff. And people like sometimes I see teenagers hanging out because a lot of teenagers hang out in this area. Yeah. And teenagers hanging out and they're dressed like like you know how like the one two K aesthetic is coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. like that. They like wearing, you know, like those like really emo um outfits and like the hair is the same and stuff and like yeah i'm just like they, they, yeah they probably listen to soundcloud rappers though now like trap is the new emo that's <laughs> this, this true yeah <laughs> like most like if you listen to uh what's his face um there's a song that i really love wait what is it called skeleton what's his name <laughs> Trap artists. Wait, I'm gonna find him. Yeah, go for us. <laughs> why? Why did I forget his name? Ah, Playboy Carti. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, like all of his songs are emo as fuck. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of artists that lean against platinum, like this, like emo aesthetic. Yeah, it's all like angsty and angry and uh, emotional, but with that layer of apathy, which, which, uh, which we talked about right now, this generation. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because um, I have a younger sister. I think I talked about it in the podcast before, and she's thirteen, and uh, she has um, a lot of friends who, let's just say, like are like are going through things and. Yeah. Um, a lot of those things are like common, like teenage issues of like, you know, like trying to do with parents and stuff. But, um, it's really interesting that the way that they, um, like talk about a lot of those issues is through like media and art isn't like they try to explain their issues through different pieces of media. Like a lot of the, a lot of the kids are like obsessed with the movie 13 now. If you've ever seen it, like the Catherine Hardwick movie. Um, it's about like these two teen girls, and like about this one, like the main character is like this teen girl who's like um going through uh like puberty, she's 13 years old, she starts high school and she starts hanging out in the crowd and um like gets into drugs and self-harming and whatever else. And the way that teens now talk about those stuff is through movies like that, or like like girl interrupted is really popular again like they compare themselves to the characters and talk about it through that and i guess that started with like my my generation like like older zoomers because yeah you're posting like fb stuff on tumblr and whatever like thing but it's interesting where like this instead of like talking about their pain in like a subjective way they tend to they tend to like um, generalize it and talk about it within the context of like different pieces of media and like generational stuff in general because mm. I noticed that in a lot of stuff like how my sister describes it a lot of it is just like oh this generation this generation is going through things like it's a very like communal experience almost for them mm. I think it's interesting I mean TikTok I don't get it still so. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> I wonder if there's any self harm stuff on TikTok. Yeah, I wanted to search. Let's let's Google let's, that. Let's do it. Yeah. So, self harm TikTok. It's probably blogged. I feel like that's something they would probably. TikTokers blog. are using secret hashtags to discuss self harm. Okay. The hashtag self harm is censored on TikTok, but okay, let's see. This is an article, an actual article, on a website called Huck Magazine. <laughs> Who calls the website Huck? What does that mean? <laughs> oh God! Uh, to keep oneself like, there's a girl in a psych ward, and she's like, to keep oneself occupied, she uses TikTok. Uh, Becca is part of the app's self harm recovery community with over thirteen thousand followers. Okay, can we see something? <laughs> <laughs> interesting there's a community dedicated to recovery. secret it's secret this is interesting it's all secret hashtags interesting <laughs> because now like it's uh they're not it's not like tumblr like you can't really yeah 
I mean, Tumblr is like a really special place because of that, because it was just so like uncensored. Like you could, you know, find anything on there. I mean, like the images of like, God, like, because a lot of people used to cut really deeply, like insanely deeply. Uh-huh. Like they're still like, you know, left for, they're, they're going to be left for scars for life. And like, I remember seeing like, because I mean, obviously there were like the common, uh, the common images of like, you know, like black and white, like, um, like photos, like a razor and stuff. But a lot of people would also post the photos of their own arms and stuff. And oh. I remember like some of them were genuinely like horrifically sickening, like gory stuff where mm. like the cuts were so deep, it almost seems impossible that a person would like do it to themselves. Mm. And yeah, I mean, that stuff, like, that stuff stays in your brain forever. You don't forget that. Oh, it is sad. But it, is, it tells you something about humans. It does. weird. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, we're weird. That's, that's, that's our pain. That's, that's, no one else does that. Like, no one species is like, oh, let's, you know. It's, yeah, like, see my wound, you know, it's really... Yeah. Do you think that... Um, uh, Instagram filters and TikTok filters are mutilation. <laughs> I love to use I love to use the ones with like when you know they show like my fa- my face is bleeding or there are like excessive tears and stuff like that. I love these the most. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> incredible always. Actually, that's really interesting. I think it is of sorts like a digital mutilation. Of, like you're not mutilizing yourself exactly right because you're not touching your body, but you're mutilizing. Yeah. Online image, like, and I think, I think any, I think any like um, plastic surgery, any stuff that changes your appearance in any way is a mutilation. I think tattoos are mutilations. I think any of that stuff is like Mm. mutilating your body because even with like, yeah, even like fillers and stuff, like that stuff should not be in your body. Hundred percent, you know what it does to you. But like, people go for it because they want to change their appearance, and I mean, I get it. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the same as like any other form of changing your appearance. It's harmful, but you can't stop yourself. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting with surgery, especially I think like Instagram filters relate to that, that um, like, I think there's, I think all people, like I remember watching some documentary when I, like a couple years back about like some person, um, changing their appearance really drastically they're getting a lot of plastic surgery in a short amount of time and talking about how like at some point they woke up and they couldn't like recognize themselves in a mirror anymore and how that was both like a thrilling experience but also like a horrifying thought to have in your head that you don't look like yourself anymore and you don't like your um the way you see yourself in your head and the way that you're used to seeing yourself in the mirror it does not no longer matches with the way that you actually look and the way you see when you yourself when you look at you in the mirror now and I think Instagram fillers are kind of like that, especially for people who spend a lot of time online. And like, can you imagine, like, say you're like, it's like you're interacting with other people. I think with Snapchat, especially, that was like very apparent. I know it's kind of dead now, but like, like very apparent, mm-hmm. like constantly use the same people, like use the same filters and like send it to other people. And they always like made you look a certain way. Plus you obviously don't look like that in real life. And I think that must've been like a very dissonant experience. Or people yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember. Did you did you ever watch 90 Days Fiance? <laughs> no, no, no. No? Oh my god, you didn't? You haven't? No, I haven't. It's a, show, 
It's a it's it's called Ninety Days Fiance. It's a show on TLC. Do you know TLC? Yeah, I mean I know what the show is. I just I've never watched it. Ah, okay. Uh, like uh, most, like, there's this woman. She was dating this younger Tunisian guy in his twenties, and she used to use like Snapchat filters when she talks to him. <laughs> so when he so when he saw her in the airport, he was like, she. I mean, she's okay, but she doesn't look like what she looked like when she was talking to me. <laughs> but she's okay. I don't care. I want the I want the green card. <laughs> I love that show. That show is crazy. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I really, I really relate to him in regards to the green card. I've made a lot of jokes about it, but like, I would absolutely get married for a green card. So, I. I Why you're not American? No, I'm not American. I'm Estonian. <sighs> Oh, hi. I'm also not American. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, maybe if we like put it out there very vocally, someone will marry us and we'll become American. I, I don't actually know what a green card does. Like, does it, like, does it grant you citizenship? Like, what does it do? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I just know that it's like a way to like go to the US. <laughs> like, I think you have a lot of fans who would marry you. Thank you. To give I- you. I can, yeah, I think I can like scam my way into a green card marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we've diverged so much now. We're on on the other side of uh, culture. 90, 90 Days Fiance is the craziest show ever. So unhinged. It's so weird. But I, I think actually, to say something about reality TV, I think it's self form. I said that it's a form of self harm as well. No, I don't mean watching it. I mean people who participate in it. I don't yeah, know. of course. I saw this post that um, Netflix is doing this new show called um, something. It's something yeah. to do with beasts, but basically it's like people yeah, are, yeah, like really intense, like uh, you know, like movie like makeup where they look like yeah. CGI animals. They go on dates. Yeah, yeah. You have to hate yourself so much to agree to that. I mean, like, I can't imagine. Like, you have to have, like, a combination of, like, self-hatred and, like, narcissistic tendencies to, like, want to do that to yourself. It's crazy. Like, do they think that if you do this, like, you will make the other person see through your soul or something? It's bullshit. I think we need to go back to medieval times when they used to think that the eyes are the gate to your soul. Because oh, I think that it's, it's so important to sit with the person in real life and look into their eyes. And that's how you like know that there's any kind of fucking chemistry. Otherwise, uh, like they had another show where you have to talk with the person behind a wall or something. And then at the end of it, you see them. That's bullshit. No, you have to you have to just look in their eyes because eyes are so powerful. <laughs> wow, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, and I think also, I just think it's completely ridiculous. This like modern notion that somehow you first of all you can always tell if a person is hot or not just by the sound of their voice and the way that they carry themselves like mm. a lot of like it's really funny because sometimes you like see someone on twitter and they like, don't have like their like profile pictures like a random like movie screenshot or whatever and they don't post like their face ever but you just know you're a really beautiful person and they'll, they'll post a photo especially if it's oh. with like women then they'll post a photo and you're like of course like this makes so much sense you know like, <laughs> you can always tell like it's it's bullshit but somehow like also it's bullshit as well because there's no way that an ugly person would agree to like participate in a dating reality TV show. You just know they're hot by definition. So it's like, 
90 Days Fiance allows for a variety of ugly people. Okay. Want green, <laughs> want, you know. It's, uh, the, the TLC is shows you it's reality TV in a reality, like very realistic way. Okay. Like um, life is life is full of life is full of ugly people, you know. Yeah. And uh, and now we are like by saying ugly people, me and you, we are saying that we are not ugly. I think <laughs> <laughs> we're just separating ourselves from the ugly. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. Like you can always tell by how people talk whether they're hot or not. Because I think like. And I don't mean like, I really hate it when people like constantly, especially like it's very present on Twitter because I mean, in Instagram, you post a picture and that says everything, right? But like on Twitter, when people like mostly like just describe how like they're hot and beautiful and stuff, that's when you know that's not actually true because like there has to be a level of humility to true beauty. And like, if you're just constantly out there talking about how, uh, you know, how attractive you are, then you're just an ugly person, whether, whether you have the perfect cheekbones or not, like, sorry. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, being on the internet is a form of self-harm now. Yeah. We have, yeah. We post something and then we just get, get attacked by dogs. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it's also a form of self-harm in the sense that it's like, you know, you're constantly subjecting yourself to like, you're opening yourself up to criticism. And it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to criticize you, right? But it just means that you are constantly sort of opening yourself up and letting people in, people who normally would have never been around you or like had any access to your thoughts or and feelings. And yeah, that's very, yeah. It's very, it's a, yeah, it's like self-punishment constantly. Yeah, it's a vulnerable position. No, That's why I try to moder- moderate it. I mean, I think you have a really interesting Twitter presence and an interesting social media presence in general. I think it's very mysterious and elusive and interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think we can... Uh, diverge online self-mutilation by you know making art or posting stuff that are thought-provoking that are not very tied to narcissism in a sense yeah i think yeah yeah i think that's important i think uh, it's really interesting in that way because i think what what is it podcasting is really interesting in that way because it allows you to I, I find it really interesting because, um, I mean, my show is very new. You've been doing it for way longer, but the, I just really like it when I get to talk to people that I've been like, been like fascinated by their online presence for a while. And then I get to talk to them in like a more intimate way. And I just think it's such a, it's, if the internet does anything well, it's that it like provides you, you know, intimate moments that you would have never had otherwise. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. It is so beautiful. Um, yeah, that's the best thing. Yeah. 